SAE visits, CDE team prep, fundraisers, grading tests, lesson planning, buying supplies, and oh right, buying your own groceries, getting a haircut, and spending time with your family. How do we guard our time? Managing Ag Teacher Expectations. That's today's topic on Owl Pellets. Welcome to Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers podcast. We share research-based tips and tackle the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. The Owl Pellets crew is Kate Shoulders from the University of Arkansas, Marshall Baker from North Carolina State University, Mike Ritalik from Iowa State University, and Brian Myers from the University of Florida. We are your agricultural education resource across the web. Welcome, Owl Pellet fans. We are in sunny Anaheim, California at uh, the NAAE conference, and we can say sunny today. Um, the rest of uh, the week has uh, started out a little cloudy and a little rainy, so uh, I think most people have a little bit more uh, uh, smiles on their face, and they're a little bit more uh, full of sunshine with the, the weather today. So we have a, a wonderful group of uh, people here to talk a little bit about uh, a critical issue that we have in um, ag education, and that is related to uh, life as an ag teacher and what it means to have a job um, uh, as an ag teacher and what those expectations are. So we're going to dive in today and talk a little bit about uh, those expectations and how what we feel as ag teachers and maybe a little bit about how we can handle that. So, and I think I'll start things off. Um, I spent eight years in the classroom before I became a uh, I moved on to the kind of the university level at different stages, and I remember creating that monster for myself, and that monster where uh, I didn't know how I could handle and manage things. I started with uh, 45 students um, in a program that uh, um, the administration was really seriously about cutting, and about five or six years later, we were hiring a second teacher, and I had close to 200 students in the program. And, and with a philosophy of, uh, I'm here to support the students, and I want to, uh, if a student wants to do it, I'm going to do whatever I can to support that. Uh, that's pretty easy with 45 students, but when you start getting up in the, the triple digits, that gets a lot harder to manage, and uh, you, you start to scratch your head about what have I created and, and uh, what those expectations are. And So let's talk a little bit about those expectations, and are those cultural? Are those in expectations in ag ed? Are those uh, internal and personal expectations? And how do we balance those? Well, I just, uh, my name's Anthony Mills. Uh, I teach at Blue Valley High School in Randolph, Kansas. Uh, I've been there. This is now the start of my sixth year, uh, halfway through it already. Um, so just going back, uh, I, uh, my wife and I, we uh, both were ag educators. Um, and my wife taught for five years and she kept warning me during whenever I first started, she got a year ahead of me. Uh, and uh, she told me, she's like, Anthony, just be very careful about the expectations you put on yourself um, and the expectations you put on uh, your community. And I didn't listen to her very well. <laughs> um, and it, it was, it was definitely a struggle. Um, so for, we saw a lot of fruits come out of it. So this past year we passed a bond, got a brand new ag facility. We've, you know, tripled our memberships in our program. Um, and I almost resigned. Uh, so just from putting all of the stress on myself and not giving it, giving it away, my wife ended up 
uh, leaving teaching. She got called to go back and ranch with her dad. Mm -hmm. um, so that helped with our schedules and, and she's been very supportive. But a lot of it was just myself. I was very driven. I wanted to do best for the students um, and wasn't necessarily looking out for myself or best interest of my family either. Um, so a lot of it was just on myself and reevaluating priorities then after that. So, so where's those expectations come from? I would say there's kind of twofold. I think part of it comes from maybe what you saw as a high school student if you were in an ag ed program. So you're, you're, the paradigm you see things through is your ag teacher growing up or ag teachers if you had multiple. So then you get into the profession and your, your mindset is like, well, I want to do like, you know, Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so when I was in high school. So you kind of try to emulate that to a certain degree. Um, and I think secondly, it also comes from maybe the school you're at, what your community or maybe a previous instructor had done. And so even if students or the community is not comparing you to that previous instructor, you're aware of that previous instructor to a certain extent. And so you're trying to live up to something maybe. Um, and so even if they're not even spoken expectations, you still kind of keep those inside and try to live up to a certain standard. Yes. I'm wondering if some of us even just get it from the passion of wanting students to be the best people that they can be and we know that we can help them get there. Yeah. And all of a sudden, instead of 45 students, you're helping 100 students. Yeah. And you haven't lost sight of getting them to be the best people that they need to be. Yeah. I was just reflecting on that uh, the other day. I was like, what would it be like to be a banker? <laughs> Where you go in, you don't have to take any work home with you, and there seems to be a beginning and an end to your job. And I think a lot of times, a lot of us are super self-motivated in the fact that um, it's pretty tough to find the end to, you know, when should I quit and go home for the day? Because there's always something else to do on the to-do list, and, and to try and manage that when uh, you're focused on uh, uh, make accomplishing things and, and being successful that way. And that's why we're better than me. That's why we're better than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think as um, ag teachers too, we also, as a community, are very passionate about what we do, and we like to strive for excellence. And when we see excellence in our colleagues, we also want to emulate that. And so we also feel those pressures from, even though they're not necessarily said from our colleagues and from the community that we, we kind of make. I think that the world of social media has kind of enhanced that too, because what you see on social media from a, a colleague of yours, they're trying to promote their program and it's within the context of their community. Mm -hmm. But inevitably, it's a small world. So you know someone in that community who shares something on Facebook, who then somebody else shares it, and it comes back around to you. And the actor who posted it had no intention of making you feel like you weren't doing a good job. But that's how you take that. You see, I'd say, man, so-and-so is doing an awesome job in this community, and if only I could do that. Or, yeah, I've had people in my community or my program that come back and say, hey, I saw this on, on Facebook that this community is doing. Why can't we do that? Right. And so they come back and oh, man, geez, now we're getting compared to all the other programs that that was never the intention either. Right. I also think on that comparison aspect, there's comparison of, you know, well, I stayed until 9 o'clock yesterday. Mm -hmm. Well, you automatically feel guilty because you let yourself leave at 6. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we're feeling guilty, like we're not being the best possible, most caring um, hardworking ag teacher because we allowed ourselves the personal time to go home at a decent hour. I think that pressure is very, um, very prevalent. As a young teacher, this is my fourth year, um, there's a lot of 
mentors that'll say, you know, you need to have work-life balance. You need to do, um, you know, make sure to make time for me time and like separate yourself. But yeah, they'll turn around and stay until 10 p.m. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's like, how can you tell me that when you don't do that yourself? Yes. So I think it's a double standard. Like, that's okay for you to do, but I'm not going to do it. Yeah, so uh, uh, earlier this fall, we had a podcast. We had a, a graduate student on by the name of uh, Haley trainee from uh, Oregon State and she's working on professional development and working on these types of issues and she threw a term out there that we tried to wrestle with and talk a little bit about for a while and it was called reification. Does anybody know what reification means? Fire away, help us out. I hope I don't disappoint Dr. Trainee. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's where we um, basically like a, a measure of success or accomplishment is placed on something material. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I must be a great ag teacher because you can't see any paint on my walls because they're all covered in plaques. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's that culture we create. So we, whether we know it or not, create this environment about the expectations are, whether we say it or not, that you have to be at school until nine o'clock or you have to be there by 6.30 the next morning. And, you know, your measure, your measure of success is um, the number of plaques on the wall or the number of students that you have involved or the number of American degrees or state degrees that you have. And it's all measured by that. So, yes. I just remember when I was student teaching, um, my my master teacher, he, he was having a hard time. He had just finished going through the chairs of leadership in our state. And uh, he was one evening apologizing to me and saying, hey, I'm sorry, my program isn't the best right now. Well, within that week, because that was a, I think it was a Friday, three of his former students um, had came back um, right after school and, and talked to him. I was, of course, kind of hanging out in the, the back channels and, and talked to him about, hey, you know, I'm doing this now and I'm really successful and all three of them were in the egg field. And so I think it's it's a, we're all competitive by nature. We all want to have the, the felt to the plaques on the wall. And it's just how we measure it. Do we measure it by the impacts? Do we keep it focused on the students in the long term? Or do we keep it focused on the students in the short term? So how do you manage that? So some, for some, those uh, that are out listening in podcast land, what recommendations and what what kind of uh, suggestions do you have? How do you, how do you manage that and kind of keep that in line with uh, um, your own programs and uh, um your success, but also your work-life balance and, and trying to um, have a life outside of being an egg teacher. What's that look like? So a long time ago when I was really young, my, my neighbor's, my grandmother's neighbor was a fourth grade teacher. And I saw him on a Saturday one day, he's loading up a lawnmower in the back, back of his pickup. And I said, Mr. Slayton, what are you doing? He said, he said, I have to take a break from school. Every teacher has to have something, so I mow lawns on the weekend. <laughs> and he's really right. Every single teacher, every one of us in this room, you have to have something else that you do that takes you away from the grind uh, during the week. You have to have something takes your mind off of stuff, um, and, and, and it's got to be something that you can you, you uh, take the same philosophy about. You want to be the best, so you know maybe you're Maybe you're running, you know, like you mentioned stock shows. If you're off at these stock shows, maybe you're raising livestock for stock shows or, 
you know, maybe you are, who knows, something that you can be really good at, and, and hopefully that, you know, sort of helps you in the classroom as well, you know, kind of builds it. I had an intern teacher once say something to me that kind of reached up and slapped me in the face, you know, one of those moments when you realize that and what he said to me was, if, if you don't have a work-life balance, you're teaching those students that that's okay to not have a work-life balance. So I think a good practice for me even is telling my students, I'm going home at four today to spend time with my children. And they understand, they, they're not oblivious to that. They understand that and they're okay with that because they see the importance in that. And so just being honest with them, that you have a life outside of them, is an okay thing to do. And then telling me that, like we are modeling for them how they should be as adults. So why would we model something that's unhealthy? And I think of that often. And so I'm not afraid to tell my students, hey, I went to California for a couple days and went to Disneyland at night. <laughs> they need to know that you're human. We probably have some young parents in here, right? Yes. Yes. Um, it, the, it's coming home to roost for me. I have uh, two kids that are in their early 20s. And uh, I modeled wrong for them. In the, in the fact that uh, they're hard workers, they're putting in time, they're killing it and doing terrific work, but they don't have time to take a break and come home and visit mom and dad or to take a weekend and go have dinner someplace together and all those kind of things. So whether you're modeling it for your students or if you're modeling it for your kids at home, it's, it's a pretty uh, surprising uh, wake-up call. I can't tell you who the... Um, artists are, but there's a song called Cats in the Cradle that uh, kind of makes me uh, think a little bit about uh, it coming full circle. So not only modeling for your own students, but modeling for your families as well. I think something else that you have to have is you have to have a, you mentioned a what, something to kind of get away from to do. I think you have a who also. Um, someone who's not in ag yet. It, I think it cannot be someone in ag yet, but whether it's a spouse, a good friend, whatever, but someone who can be very, very honest with you and maybe tell you something that you aren't ready to hear, but you need to hear it anyway that says, hey, you need to take a step back and do something else, or you need to take a day or two and do something for you, or whatever the case may be. Um, because if you don't have that, then you're going to skip other ag teachers and it's going to turn into just comparing back and forth and then you have to keep going, going, going. So if you don't have that who, you need to find someone who can be that for you. Yeah. I found also that uh, just becoming comfortable in who you are as an ag teacher is super important. Um, early in my career, I found myself always needing to, feeling like I needed to prove myself. Um, I came from a background where I wasn't in ag or FFA in high school and, and so uh, coming into it, I felt like I really had to prove myself to other colleagues, to other people in our state. And um, as I've become more comfortable, um, I don't have to worry about, I don't, I don't find myself feeling like I've got to do everything um, just to try to prove who I am. I, I know that I run a, a good program and, and I don't have to, it's okay to say no sometimes. Okay. I would add with that just the value of receiving 
and allowing others to take over and, and take control because, um, yeah, this mentality of, well, I, I have to know how to do this. I have to get this figured out. I remember when I first moved to Northern Minnesota, I grew up in Southern Minnesota. There's no trees down there. <laughs> I thought the big old pine trees in my yard were pine trees and not They're spruces. <laughs> when I moved to the national forest and first class I'm teaching are natural resources and forestry. It's like, holy cripes, what am I going to do? And so I invited in our community college and the forestry instructors. And I learned so much from them. And, and I think it's, it's so important to recognize we cannot know everything and we will not know everything. Allow others to step in and take over because we let their, let their talent shine as well. For sure. Yes, I'm a daughter of an ag teacher. My dad was an ag teacher, and um, I have a 19-year-old and a 7-year-old trying to manage those two. Um, I definitely learned in the first five years that you can't be good at everything, and you shouldn't be good at everything. If you're good at everything, then I think our program would be a lot different. So you have to learn to only focus on what you can be good at and let the others um, come in I am very fortunate. I work in a four-person apartment. Thank God we are all unique in um, our own strengths because we got to balance each other well. And I think um, to manage it all, to balance it all, to be a good ag teacher, to be a good um, parent, you have to learn to take and give um, when you can. Because um, I don't know many people out there. I've been doing it 20 years, and I don't know somebody that can do it all perfectly. I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to do it all, but um, we gotta remember we can't do it all. We gotta be good at what we can um, I think it also comes to allowing yourself the grace to grow and develop and reminding yourself it's okay. I don't know this yet. Um, I just moved schools and I have to remind myself that with 15 FFA kids, you can't do every contest. I feel the pressure to do every single contest. And so I have to like take a step back, take a breath and say, it's okay. This year, I will only do the contest the kids are interested in. And just allowing yourself that grace of it's okay. I'm still doing okay. We're still being successful. Like, I think that's huge. And it, it might be silly, like power posing or whatever, giving yourself confidence, but it does. You just have to stop and tell yourself like, I'm good. <laughs> I was just thinking about something with, we have this thing with wanting to retain or recruit new teachers into ag ed. And I have a student in my mind right now that I have, she's a senior who she wants to be an ag teacher. And I, I kind of wonder, are we almost doing ourselves a disservice by those high school kids that maybe want to be ag teachers? They see your breakneck speed and they're like, sounds cool, but I'm not, nope, that's, that's too much. And then they almost push them away unintentionally. And so it's almost one of those things if you don't have some self-awareness about your, what you're doing in your program, you might be pushing away the next generation of that teachers. You'd be surprised how much I hear that at the university level, meeting with prospective students. Say, oh, my ed teacher said I'd make a great te teacher, but I don't want to work as hard as what they do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This past spring, I got season tickets to K-State baseball, and I had a former student who was there attending school, and he was in ag business. We he would start coming over, and we'd sit together and chit-chat about life and everything, and then he came up to me one game and said, Mr. Meals, I decided I'm going to switch my major. I'm going to become an ag teacher. I was like, holy mackerel. <laughs> you know, he's a, he was my first student. But he was like, one of the things he commented on was he was like, it's cool seeing you here. Yeah. He's like, you actually, I, he's like, I didn't feel like I could have a life outside of 
Cool. Mm -hmm. um, I have just two practical tips. I, this is my eighth year teaching, and um, I was terrible. My first couple years, I was a single teacher, um, had my first daughter, and I just, it was hard. My husband was in the Marine Corps, like, lots of crazy mm -hmm. stuff. But what I've learned now, practical tips for, for younger teachers, I say, first, you don't set goals, you set boundaries. Mm -hmm. And if the goals, goals will happen on their own. So, like, I have an alarm that goes off at 4.30 every day. That's when my contract ends. And it says, leave, go get your kids. Live life. Enjoy life. <laughs> and I mean, I'm trying. I mean, there are days that you're going to be there. Maybe. But on a normal basis, when there's not FA events that I have to be at, see ya. I'm gone. Um, and setting those boundaries. And another one is what you were saying is doing the incredible minimum. Our state puts standards on us as teachers that we must meet um, for funding. Uh, so my teaching partner and I, we decided that we're just going to be incredible at the minimum because we're both young moms. Um, we have young children. And maybe, maybe when they're in high school, college, we'll decide to do the maximum, you know, incredibly. But right now, if I have to do five CDs, I do five CDs and we're going to crush them. You know, or if we only have to, we have to do this many events, we have to have this many things, we're going to... We're going to try and do the incredible minimum because, you know, if we do everything that everybody else is doing and compare ourselves to them, we're going to burn out and we won't be teachers much longer. I have an entirely different perspective in, um, on that because most days I unlock the school and I lock the school. Um, and so with that, I've got a few kids that have went on to become ed, ed majors. Um, and when they tell me that they are going to be ag ed majors, I will sit them down and I will uh, talk a very frank conversation with them of this is the way my life is. These are the mistakes I've made. These are the shortcomings and these are the sacrifices I've made. And so if, if you want to do exactly what I did, this is your life choice. Um, but you need to also be very informed and say, you know, if I want to have a family, I should give this up. If I want to do this, I need to make this sacrifice um, and just go into the entire process informed. And so that they're not walking in thinking, um, we're going to do this and and I have to, and I can work this amount of time or, you know, just so that they know what the, the, the boundaries need to be. I don't know what, <clears throat> here's just another thing that I do. I don't know what school, all your school policies are or anything like that, but I'm all about anything that my, my personal children, not my, not my other kids, but my own kids, anything that they can be involved in that I do and my husband, um, I, I think that that's great. You know, if we're doing a community service project and my six-year-old daughter can come and help along, that's great for her. That's, you know, and, and I'm spending time with her and she's learning from that experience. And so that's another tidbit is, is don't be afraid to get your family involved. I mean, I have, my husband's an equipment salesman and I have to go look at equipment all the time. <laughs> so I feel like it's a fair trade. <laughs> When I, when I first started, um, I started in the middle of the year, um, ran into our state advisor on the Sunday in the grocery store and said, hey, I think I've got a job for you. Come out of college, I didn't want to teach. Thought, what the heck, I had a really young family, and I went home and talked to my wife about it. And 
when I got the job, we were driving up there um, about two hours away from where we lived. And we were having a conversation that you almost have to take this job as a family, not necessarily as a person. Because your family's going to be involved with it no matter what, whether positively or negatively. Um, and when I first started going to teacher meetings, there's a whole lot of guys out there that were all divorced. And I didn't want to be one of those guys. So we took the family approach and my kids have also grown up in it. They were super excited when they got to be in FFA. Um, my daughter right now is my chapter president. So I, mean, I, I think if you take that approach and know that you want to if you want to keep, keep in this profession, you've got to take that family and interject that, but then also take your family time. We've taken a lot of family vacations where I've shut my phone. So. Great. Well, this has been a terrific conversation and uh, lots of uh, uh, food to think about when it comes to uh, uh, expectations of teachers and maybe uh, challenges and ways that we can manage those uh, expectations. So uh, uh, appreciate uh, the comments and the feedback and uh, look forward to seeing some of the uh, um, uh, comments that we have as a result of the podcast. So uh, thanks for joining us and uh, until next time, have a great day. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Please visit our webpage for more information on this topic and to learn more about all of our guests. Be sure to follow Owl Pellets on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It would also be great for you to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, we ask that you please take a moment and comment on our podcast so others can find it as well. So for Kate, Marshall, and Mike, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellet saying thank you, and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers.